So we're continuing our series this week, uh, One to One. And uh, in case you haven't been here all these other weeks, One to One is basically a series where we are taking some foundational things, okay, and we're going over them one by one to, uh, to kind of revisit them. You know how it is, sometimes we do things over and over and over and they kind of lose their meaning, they lose their original intent, and so they kind of get watered down. We've talked about things like salvation and repentance, lordship, all these types of areas, and today we are going to be talking about the church, all right? Y'all with me? The church. And uh, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read some scriptures, and then we are going to pray, and then we're going to dive into this thing, all right? So we're going to start with Matthew 16, verse 16. And uh, Jesus just asked Simon, he said, you know, but who do you say that I am? And this is Simon Peter replied, verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray real quick, huh? Father, we love you. We thank you for today. God, I thank you for what you're going to do in this room. I thank you for the lives that you're going to change, the perspectives that you're going to change. God, I pray that as we read your scripture, God, that you would illuminate yourself to us, that you would change our opinion into what the word says. God, that we would be moldable and pliable. Uh, and God, just speak to us in, a, in, a, in just a special way today. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, had, I got a question for you. How many of you have ever joined a gym before? Most of you, and most of you probably are not still in a gym, based on that, you know, ashamed living. There's three different types of people that, that sign up at a gym, okay? There's the one that signs up, they're all excited, they're all dressed up in their garb that they just bought from Academy Sports the day before, because they're like, today's the day, I'm for real this time. And they walk up with their little energy drink, and they sign the paper, right? They sign the contract, and the gym's like, yes. They sign, and they never go back. Like, that was it. That was, that was it. They, they can say, I went to the gym last week. I went to the gym last month. And then eventually, they just stop saying they went to the gym because it's just, they're ashamed of it. But they sign up. They never really go. Many of you are, come on, if you've done that, anybody? Wow. More than I, <clears throat> I expected. All right. One time I signed a contract for a gym for an entire year for $40 a month, and I went for the whole first month. And the rest of the year, every time that it hit my bank account, I was ashamed. <sighs> anyway, I got through that. Second type of person, they sign up, and they either go for three months, or they go every three months. All right, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, they, they go period, like just for this period of time, they're excited about it, and then it fades, or they're just every three months, they just decide, okay, I guess I'll go, I'll go this Monday. I'm starting for real, kind of like starting a diet. Every three months, we start a new diet, and it doesn't work, and it's the diet's fault, by the way. It's a, it's a poor diet plan, and so, but then you, then you got the, the type of people, they're gym rats, right? They're gym addicts. They're the ones that are there no matter what. Uh, you got the, uh, you know, the gym you got the people that are running on the, they're running on the treadmill during the, the flood of 2016, right? Just a couple weeks ago. <laughs> they're getting the cardio going, and there's people in canoes behind them, just, you know, just going for it. But, uh, but they're addicted to the gym. They're there no matter what's going on, and they're committed to it. And, uh, you know, I started going to the gym about a year. Well, no, that, that's, a, that's a lie. It was in the fall, so it's only been a few months. And I started going back to the gym, back to the gym. Uh, because, man, my, my, my lower back started hurting me a couple years ago. And uh, I'm a small guy, but, man, you know what? It doesn't matter. Small if my back was hurting. And, uh, and it hurts as much as a big back. It's amazing. But um, <laughs> that was pretty good. I remember that one. So it's the same pain, smaller frame. Man, another, another rhyme. Man. <laughs> All right, guys, see y'all later. I'm out. <laughs> wow. Inspiration today. So I started going because I had this pain. I was, I was like, man, I got to do something. I had, uh, you know, trainer Steven over here, and he was like, man, you got to fix the problem. Can't just, you know, I just want to take a Tylenol or something. That's not going to fix it. And uh, so I started going, and it's amazing how that pain, as I, I started strengthening my body, how that pain miraculously is a miracle. It went away. And, uh, you know, a lot of times that's why people join gyms is because they're going through an issue. 
uh, you know, they're, they're feeling some pain and they want to do something. And once that pain subsides, they quit going because the pain's gone, right? And it's amazing how gym membership is a lot like church membership. You know, you get your, your three different types of people, those who come and they raise their hand or they get really excited on a Sunday and uh, they're like, this is literally the best place I've ever been to in my life. This, I mean, of all churches, this is the, this is it, the pastor. You are, the way that you communicate the gospel is just, it's second to none. And usually those people never show up again. And uh, I don't know, somewhere between here and the parking lot, just they lose that excitement. Boom, never come back. Then you got your people that show up every few, I mean, we got some holiday people, right? And, and look, we had somebody recently, they were very honest and I was very appreciative. They, on the, one of the connect cards, they said, you know, how often do you attend or whatever? And they said, holidays. And I was like, all right, well, at least you're, I mean, today's Mother's Day, right? It's like, here's my holiday, check. All right, I'm good for the year, at least until Christmas. And um, so we have holiday Christians, you know, we got people that show up periodically, but they're not like sunk in. And then we got like the church addicts, you know, like church rats. I mean, they're here no matter what. I mean, we had a, remember Hurricane Katrina a few years ago? Hilarious. So we had service that morning. It was dumb. We shouldn't have had service. We should have just stayed home. It was a bad choice. But, you know, we're faithful. Hallelujah. And we showed up, and there was literally 25 people, like, just here, right here. So we were singing the songs, and we were literally looking, looking at each other laughing. It's like, this is, so we did, like, one song, preached some horrible message. I'm sure it was bad. And we shut it down. We were like, get out. There's a Category 5 headed this way. All right. We're not going to stay and pray. We're going to we're rolling. We're out. Let's go sit in some traffic as we leave. So that's just what happened. But we were faithful, man, with a faithful few. All right? And it's very ignorant, but we did it. So <laughs> joining the church is a lot like joining the gym. Now, one of the positives of the fact of people coming to church whenever they encounter some, some rough spots of life is that the church kind of represents hope, represents help. And I think that's a great reputation for the church to have. It's a place that you can come and find acceptance and love and support, right? That's what it's, I mean, that's kind of what it's built around is acceptance and love and, and the grace of God, all these great things. Uh, but it's, it's not just about that. But you know that some people have had some really, really bad experiences with the church. And so now they, maybe they come to church, but it's, they're half cocked. You know, they're ready for something bad to happen. They're, they're in defense mode. They, I mean, maybe some of you, like, you don't trust anybody that's in leadership in church because maybe they hurt you at some point. We got Facebook. We got CNN. We know all the bad things that happen in church, the abuse, right? People that, that are misusing people and finances and, and their authority, and they manipulate people. We could just go on and on about the bad. But let's look again at the Bible, and let's, let's look at the good, but let's all also look at the original intent of the church, okay? And, and, and the word church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia or ecclesia. People say it differently. But what it means is it actually means gathering. It means assembly. So like if you go to a football game, you're technically at a church of sorts, all right? You're at a football church, all right? You're at the gym church. Today you're at the church church, all right? And, and we're, we church, we assemble, we gather together, and that's actually what the word means. And so we're going to see that if we use that term whenever we read the scripture again in a second, how it changes the, 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 just the, the perspective of it, all right? Because it's an assembly, all right? So I want to read this again. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. He's saying, you didn't just figure this out in your mind. Like, God revealed this to you, a father in who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. I tell you, on this rock, I will build, listen what he, he says, I will build my gathering. My, this, Jesus just called us his gathering, his assembly, not the lead pastor of the church's name, and that's his assembly. It's God's assembly. Jesus is, you are here today because you're a part of Jesus's assembly, all right? Not just Northwood, not just Pastor Van's church, right? This is much, much bigger than that. We're a part of, God. Jesus said he's going to build his church on that, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I love how we start every service when we're in the, in the countdown. You know, the gates of hell don't stand a chance. You know that's true? 
that's, that's really true, all right? Look back in history. It's amazing how every step, every war, every time that the church has tried to literally be killed or silenced or tamed, it always just kind of erects itself again. Bam. It just comes out of the ashes. Bam. There it is. It's amazing because it's God's church. There's some different things in the Bible, that it, it, metaphors it uses about the church. It's one of the main ones is the body of Christ, that we are the body of Christ. We're different members, but together we form this complete body. And Jesus is the head of the church, all right? In all its imperfections and all its things that we see. Did y'all know that the church is made up of people? And so I kind of want to like, address the elephant in the room of uh, the, the fact that sometimes people come to church and they expect everyone to be perfect and 100% and everything like, like smooth sailing. And then all of a sudden they start meeting people and they realize it's not that way. All right? Be- because we're people. <laughs> all right? We're messed up. We say things that we shouldn't. All right? We get angry. We, you know, we do all sorts of things because we're people. And it's no, I just talked to somebody a few minutes ago. And, and you know, being in a church is no different than being in a marriage or in any other relationship. You got to work stuff out. Because if we actually really believe that we're a, a family, like the body, like we're together, like we're in covenant relationship with one another, then just because I get a little angry with you or we don't see things eye to eye or this happens or there's a misunderstanding or whatever, doesn't mean that I'm quitting on you. doesn't mean that I'm quitting on this thing. All right? I'm committed to it. We're in covenant together. We're in the body of Christ. Okay, so we got to look at this thing from a little bit deeper ang- angle. But the thing about the church is that it's never referred to as a religious building. We do it, and I understand why we do it. Come on, it's culturally, it's a building, it's the church. There's, there's the obvious thing. We're not going to start calling it the Northwood Assembly. You know, so we're not going to change our name because we want to be, you know. No, it's a church. But it's how we think about it. Do I think about the church, the gathering as a people, as I am part of that? Or is it just a place I go, check it off my list on Sunday? So... There's some great things about the church, though, and those are the things that we want to talk about today, all right? Three benefits, three things that you get whenever you are a part of a church, and the first is friendship, and these are give and takes, okay? You got skin in this game, so friendship, having friends, being a friend is found in the church, or it should be. Let me read this to you. Real friends, everyone needs them. Few find them. The best place to look for a real friend is in the church, the people of God. True friends are those who have our best interest in mind. They stick with us through thick and thin. Real friends never lead us away from God. Instead, they provoke us to godliness. Very easily stated, if you hang out with people and they don't stir you to good works, as the Bible says, all right, they don't, they don't encourage you in your walk with God, but yet whenever you walk away from them, you feel a little bit discouraged, you feel a little bit distant from God, you feel a little bit confused and like, uh, I don't, eh, eh. You should spend less time with those people than with those who do the opposite of that and encourage you in your faith and in your walk with God, okay? We're not gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater. I can't have no friends that ain't in church, can't do it. No, but if being in those environments with those people damage your faith, then maybe you should take a little, a little break from that until you're strengthened to a place where you can withstand that and those environments. Bible said, we talked about it last week, bad company corrupts good character. That's, that's something that just, it's not gonna change just because we speak positive against that. You know, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna change the world by myself. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, you don't even know what you believe anymore. You know what I'm saying? But, but there's friendships are found in the church. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Some of you are flying solo right now. You don't really have a good friend a good godly friend that encourages you, a, a really good friend that loves you enough to smack you in the face and say, dude, what are you doing? You don't have somebody like that. You have people that are peers, that, are, that champion whatever you do. 
And those are the worst type of friends to have. Those that agree with you no matter what. You know, God, you're the one that like, you get out with the buddies and you start ripping your wife and you're like, yeah, man, she this. And they're like, yeah, dude, you tell her. That's right. Tell her what's up. You know, and they just encourage you and you're rebellious. And, you know, and then you get around her and you're like, what? What would you like? Would you like a glass of water? You know what I'm saying? You're all big and bad when she ain't around. You get around, oh, yes, yes, honey. You know, that's what sometimes guys do. But, you, you know, do you have friends that can say, yeah, that, was, that was dumb. Why did you... Why did you say that? You know, I've had that both ways, you know, where I told a guy, dude, that, that was stupid. You shouldn't have said that. You know, and then I've had that said back to me. You know, so it's, it's a give and a take. But that's what friends do. They, they tell you when you're wrong. They don't just always tell you you're right. All right? And especially when they're godly friends, they can help correct you sometimes whenever you're off. But vice versa, you can help correct them too. Because you're friends. It's not me pointing out things in their life, you know, well, look at, the, look at the log in your eye. No, man, I love you and I actually care for you. I'm a friend. And we need those friendships in church, all right? Some of you kind of agree. It'd be really good. Let me tell you something. We're not called to live in isolation. We're not called to live in isolation. In your relationship with God, you're not called to that. Some people are trying to do that. The Bible talks about how uh, some people are forsaking the assembling of themselves together it's the habit of some. He said, but don't do that. There's strength in numbers. There's strength in friendships. And he says, you know, how can, how can one person stay warm if they lie alone? It's kind of like a piece of charcoal. You ever try to cook with one piece of charcoal? Exactly. It didn't work, you know? You cooked with lighter fluid is what you did. <laughs> I did that one time, and the chicken tasted like lighter fluid. I didn't have enough charcoal. Wasn't enough going on. Had to restack those things. Then I just got a gas grill and moved on with life. So, but you know, you just, you, it's hard to do that because we weren't called to live in isolationism. And so if you, if you feel like you could do this alone, if you feel like I got this on my own, it's time to go ahead and put that aside. You need friends and you can find friends in church. Another thing that you can find in church or be encouraged in is discipleship. And we've talked a lot about being a disciple of Christ. And really it comes down to just being a student or a follower of Jesus all right, and we, we've said a lot of things about discipleship in the, in the recent months, but I want to take a little bit different approach to it today. Um, I want to talk about the goal of discipleship. Like, why do you need to be a disciple? And, and it says it here in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, verse 11. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Can I just take a moment and talk about that? That pastors and apostles and leaders in the church are there for the building up of the body of Christ. Do you guys know that we need these people in the church? Do you know that you need these people in the church? Now, I know a lot of times whenever we hear those, we think of TV preachers and, and you know, evangelists and people that maybe are not what we think they should be. But those that have responded to the call of God in their life and are being faithful with that, we need those people. They keep the church grounded. God speaks through them in venues like this to anchor the church, to steady the faith of people. We need apostles. We need people that are planning churches all over the place. We need those who they get up in the morning and they just bleed church planning. They just, they, all they think about is the body of Christ and how it can be built up. We need those people. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It says unity of the faith and knowledge of God to mature manhood. We need to be in the discipleship process we need to be learning about God, growing in our nature, our knowledge of God, because really God wants to mature us. You know how the Bible talks about whenever you, you get saved and there's people that are, they just desire the milk, the milk, and it, and it talks about how you need to progress into desiring meat and getting stronger and growing. If you're 40 years old and you still only ever drink milk, probably got some digestive issues, first of all, but you're not growing. You ain't strong. You might be big, but you ain't strong right? Inflated. God wants us to be strong and mature. And here's the reason why. 
Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We need to grow in our knowledge of God and our love for God because we have got, as the church, we've got to be anchored in something other than our own opinions, our own emotions, what we think in our mind. We've got to be anchored in something a lot deeper than that. How many of you know the more mature you get as a, as a human being, as an adult, the more anchored in life you are? You know, you go through a trial and you don't freak out as much because guess what? 10 years ago, I went through a very similar thing and I made it through that, right? You've grown in experience. You've grown in maturity. That's why we have to grow in spiritual maturity because as you grow in your relationship with God, you see things for what they are. And some things are just deceitful schemes that don't get you worried and all thrown out, you know, oh no, this is, this is the big one. This is what's gonna take the church out, right? You know, you're anchored in truth. What we will be as a church culture all over this nation is a bunch of people that every time a wind comes by, every time a doctrine or a teaching comes by, we get thrown off our axis and we're just like, oh, we look like a boat in the middle of the ocean in a hurricane. We're not anchored in anything. So we freak out over here. We, we, we get upset about the wrong things. I think that's something huge that happens is we get all upset about the wrong things. We get, we get all upset about the, the fruit on the tree that's happening, the results of something that's actually a heart issue. The things that you see, the sin that's out there, the, the, the crazy schemes is it's just fruit on a tree. There's a much bigger problem. It's a separation from God. It's a sin issue. What's going into the root system of the tree that's bearing that fruit? But we get mad about the apples and the oranges. And we start trying to have conversations and start trying to prove points about the apples and the oranges. And it makes no sense because it's a much deeper issue. And you as people, you have to be grounded in something other than just your own experience. You have to be grounded and, and your faith has got to be built upon the word of God. That's what matures you. That's what resets your mind. If you ever come up against a, a decision that has to be made or an opinion and your first reaction comes up and and you have not been seeking God about it. I'm not going to guarantee it, but I will give, uh, I'll almost guarantee that it's probably going to be incorrect or it's going to be swayed because the further that we get away or the more immature we are as believers and Christians, the less, in the, less discipleship that we are engaged in, the more that there is room for our thoughts and our opinions and our emotions. And I don't know about you, but every time that I get all emotional, I'm usually wrong. It's just maybe it's just me. You know what I'm saying? Every time that I just start spewing things out of my old head, that's not based on something that's a lot more, uh, uh, you know, there's, it's not anchored in truth. I start going on weird paths. I start saying things, and, and I'm like, man, what is that? Well, the Bible says out of the abundance, the heart speaks. Well, guess what? Maybe my heart's off. Maybe something's wrong here. But you know it takes maturity to start. You know the more mature you are, the more you realize whenever you're wrong? Yeah. The people that are the most mature are the ones who apologize the quickest because they realize, you know, I was, I'm probably wrong. I was probably off. And they re reset themselves. When you're in this process of discipleship, you're growing, you're understanding God more, you're maturing, you're anchored in truth, not in your emotions, not in your opinion, not in your own personal philosophy, but you're anchored in something that's a lot more, uh, a lot stronger than you. That's a good place to be. It's a good thing. So we need to be growing in discipleship, all right? Another thing about being involved in a church, another great attribute is worship. Now, we talk about worship a lot. Uh, and a lot of times whenever we speak about worship, we're, we're talking about lifestyle worship. We've really talked about it a whole lot. Um, because, you know, honestly, I think, I think there's ebbs and flows, all right? It's kind of like you go back and forth. And, and for, for a while, worship only ever talked about music. It was only ever about music. And if you'd say worship, and I was like, music, 
all right? And then what it did is it, it, it redefined the word into something that, like we talked about earlier, it kind of loses its in, original intent. And we lost the lifestyle worship. We, we lost the, hey, man, wherever you go, your, your life is a sacrifice of worship to God all the time, you know? And, uh, and so we kind of go back and forth between talking about either. But today, I, I want to take a little bit of time and talk about worship as far as the corporate setting, all right? Like what we just did a few minutes ago. But you always have to start with the heart of worship. You always have to start there when you're talking about this subject. Because if not, just like anything else, we are so good about getting routine, being in a routine and, and losing the power in it. But there was a moment in the Bible that the Bible, uh, that, that Jesus kind of resets a little bit of the thinking when it comes to worship. And this is something that personally I've kind of dealt with in an internal way. Um, and up until recently, for me personally, I, I've kind of, I put, I've got some, some words around it that I can actually share. You know how it is sometimes you have a thought, you have like a feeling and you're like, I don't really know how to say it. Um, and it's a danger that we have in our culture just in the church in general and, and in our culture. And that's this thing, obviously we serve a lot. We talk about serving people a whole lot. And it's very important that we serve people. In, in the world, people, I mean, there's entire organizations built around just bringing food to people and serving, serving, serving. And, and it's always about others. And that's valid. And I'm not throwing out any baby with the bathwater, all right? But if not careful, we can get stuck in this routine in this way that we put service of people above worship of God, to where we become so service-minded that we, we forget about the reason that we were created, which is to worship God, to bring him glory. And so we get caught up in these actions, which is just another form of religion, by the way. Religion rears its ugly head in different ways. Sometimes it's about knowledge. I, I, I know a lot about the word, you know? Well, it's spiritual pride. Well, I serve a lot of people, spiritual pride. You're basing your worth on that, not on the fact that Jesus saved you. You know what I'm saying? And, and we, it's just very easy. But it's a danger because we can lose our connection with God. We can come to a church like this, get so service-oriented, serving people, serving people, that we forget that we are to be a sacrifice of worship before God, right? You understand what I'm saying? It can be a little bit out of balance. And it's subtle, but then guess what starts happening? Our passion for God starts waning. This discipleship process gets old. We start losing that first love. And then it's this hollow thing that we're doing where we come to church for a while, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to serve today. I'm serving on the camera, right? I'm, I'm serving the kids' ministry. And some people, they only come on the, the days that they serve. But they don't come to church on the days they don't serve. That's a danger. I don't need the teaching of the word. I got my own time with God. I don't need the whole music thing. It's a danger. It's a danger. It's no different than any other scheme of the enemy, trying to isolate people away. But worship is something that we should all be engaged in. And I just want to give you an example real quick out of Luke. Jesus was visiting with some people and... Uh, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Come on, man. And I'm saying the bread's burning. Let's get this thing going. All right. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The most important thing that we are and that we do as people is we worship the living God, that we worship God. Before we serve, before we do anything, are we worshipers of God? Do, do we desire the things of God? Do we hunger after God? Or are we so distracted with good intentions that we lose the very reason that we're doing it? 
This can happen in church. This can happen in your work. This can happen in your job. This can happen in your raising your kids. It's about perspective and focus. And the main thing being the main thing, it's just priorities. We still will serve, all right? We're still going to serve people. We're still going to go be Jesus to our community and all those things. But we, we also have to be worshipers. We also have to care about our relationship with God. Start personal. Do I, do I care? Do I, do I tend to? Do I maintain my connection with God? Or am I getting sidetracked with doing really, really good things? Because if I'm just doing really good things and I'm sidetracked, eventually those good things will cease too. Because God is the source of all of that. God is the source of generosity and love and patience and all these things that we love. He's the source of it. It's fruit of the spirit. So if we seek that, if we seek Jesus, all these other things will, to a certain extent, naturally happen. One of which I believe is corporate worship. I believe there's power in corporate worship. There's different styles when it comes to how we do music. All right, everybody knows this. There's different styles. We have a certain style here. Some people don't like it. That's fine. They have a style at their place. That's fine. Everybody's got their, look, my house is going to be different than your house. It's going to look, it's going to smell different. It's going to look different. You know what? I don't like fluorescent lights in my kitchen. Actually, my wife does not like fluorescent lights. In we lived at this one place for nine years and she never turned the fluorescent light on because she couldn't stand it. I was like, babe, it's a light. I can't see anything. She's like, I don't care. I'd rather it be dark. Anyway, preference, right? So some people have a, a preference and that's fine. But let me tell you what is not removed from corporate worship, and it's the presence of God. Whenever people come together in unity to worship Jesus, God is in the midst of them. I went to a, a funeral a couple of years ago, and uh, it, it was a little bit, it was, it was funny, because what they did is they did like a throwback service. You know, it was, they did all these old, old songs, and, and we were having a good time. But what was awesome is that God was in the place. We started singing these songs, and, and it was done out of good fun, you know, just kind of some throwbacks of the, the person that had, had died, and, and um, it was amazing. It kind of started out fun, and then all of a sudden, it was like, Jesus is in this place, man. This is, this is good, because people were united in worshiping God, and you know that this is nothing new. We didn't just create worship services like this in the last 15 years. This has been going on for a long time, and actually, it's going on in heaven, if you, really, if you really picture it, whenever we're worshiping together, it's, we're kind of connecting with heaven and doing something that we will be doing for a very, very, very long time. But I want to read some scripture out of the Old Testament, out of 2 Chronicles, about this, this gathering. Because this, this, corporate worship is nothing more than the gathering of the believers, the ecclesia that we talked about, right? The gathering of believers coming together to worship God. And 2 Chronicles 5-7 says this. Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. They're bringing back the Ark of the Covenant to the temple, and, and it's a big deal. And uh, actually, the Ark was, God cared so much about this, this Ark that if you touched it, you died. They had to carry it a certain way so nobody could touch it. Actually, one time it was on this, it was on this wagon, which it wasn't supposed to be. They put it on a wagon and, and it tilted and almost fell. And a really good hearted servant reached up one day and said, I'll save it. And he died. <laughs> it's just, that's a bad day. I mean, you just feel like I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. I'm gonna, and he, he took one for the team and it, he died. So anyway, all that to say, it's, it's kind of a big deal. This isn't just a random box, okay? It's the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 11 and when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions. Another way, it says basically those that were on duty and those who were off duty were all there. So those who got the service requests in their email and actually showed, and those who acted like they did not get their service requests in their email and bailed. Maybe if I don't actually respond, I can just show up like, whoops, <laughs> sorry. And, uh, meanwhile, somebody is working back there, taking your, your spot. But it, it didn't matter. Everybody was, was in the place that day. 
all the priests. By the way, we're all priests, in case you didn't know. If you believe in Jesus and you've accepted him as Lord and Savior, you are a part of this royal priesthood. All right, it's in the Bible, it's biblical. We are all priests. So whenever you read things in the Bible and it says a priest did it, just act like you're the one that's put in that place, not for, it's for somebody else, okay? So the priests came out of the holy place. For all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves out regard to their divisions. Verse 12, and all, all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jedithan, whatever those names are, their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres stood east of the altar with 100, 120 priests who were trumpeters. If you thought that worship was a little bit loud a while ago, I want you to imagine 120 trumpets. That's annoying. I don't, I don't care. You can try to be all spiritual about it. For me, I just hear, and it's like, ah, but it was good. They must have been really good trumpeters. Verse 13, and it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. Unison. Unity is something we also speak about a lot. It's one of our values here, but it's one of the values of Christ. Unity. Have you guys ever been to a concert before where everybody is excited about the main band and the main band gets up there and all of a sudden they start their main song and everybody's like, yes! Even the people that were on the fringe that didn't know any of the other, other music, they know this song, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's on the radio. I get, and then all of a sudden everybody starts singing and it's just exciting and fun. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you, I don't think you've ever been to a concert. You're just like, it's fun. You ought to go to a concert sometime. When everybody starts singing, it's just like, yeah. There might not be necessarily any like, presence of God in there. You know, you're just singing whatever song, right? But there's something about when people get together in unity. I think that's why people love sports so much. About one of the only things that you can go grab 100,000 people and they all be on the same page about. But there's something special about being in unity. And whenever we come in a room like this, whenever we're in unity, worshiping God, nothing replaces that, that rhythm, that pattern. Unity. They're in unison and praise. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, they, this is what they were singing. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. No telling how many times they sang that. You know, they probably sang that 150 times. Just kept singing it, kind of like what we were doing earlier. Just repeating it, repeating that truth, declaring it. And this is what it says. They're singing this, and the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. The presence of God was there. The presence of God was among them. And a lot of people get a little bit weirded out by scriptures like that. A cloud? Yeah, God was among them? You know, it gets a little bit, gets a little bit weird. But that's God's, that's what God wants. God, since Adam and Eve, has been on a journey to reconnect with us in, a, in, in the original way. And there's something about whenever people come together and they sing songs together and they exalt God, the Bible says his presence is among them. And he, he lives in that. He imbibes that. And uh, I don't want to get too weird because it's really not that weird. It's not. It's just a spiritual thing. And it's, it's God's original design. I want to share quickly some things that happen in corporate worship. Some things that we should be desiring. Some things that our focus should be set on. God delights in us. These are all scriptural. God delights in us. God draws near to us. God ministers to us. Some of you came in this room today like empty, dry, and even in worship as, as the songs are being sung, you just felt like, like oxygen was filling your lungs. Like just, you know, that's what God does. The Lord's enemies, they flee. In case you didn't know you're in a war, whether you know it or not, you are in a spiritual war every day. Sometimes we're not aware of it. But in worship, the Lord's enemies, they flee. Unbelievers recognize God's presence. It's one thing that you can never take away from somebody, and that's what they've experienced. 
You might not be able to wrap words around it, but you just know. And whenever unbelievers are present and the, the Holy Spirit comes into a place, the presence of God shows up. It's nothing weird. It's just like, whoa, what was that? All right. You know what I'm saying? This is, some, this is something different. Unbelievers recognize God's presence. And the last two things is that we delight in God. We delight in him. A while ago, we were singing that second song. And whenever we started singing that chorus, just this is the phrase that came to my mind for me was, God, you love me not because of what I do, but because of what, who you are, because of what you've done. It was just this thing that dropped in me. And then I began to sing that song and it just, it just turned the page on that song for me. That was a personal moment. But it's little things like that that God does where you delight in God, where you remember the joy of your salvation, that you remember that above what you do and everything, it's, you're just before God, surrendered. Another thing is that God draws near to us and we draw near to him. If you feel far away from God, if you feel like there's a separation, a distance between you and him, what we're gonna do in a moment is we're gonna sing another song. We're gonna worship God. Band, you guys can come on out. And if you felt distant, if you feel disconnected, if, if this thing of worship has kind of been foreign to you, I wanna ask you to do something. I wanna ask you to put away all your pre preconceived ideas because we got a lot of them, right? Put away all that stuff. And as we sing these words, just open up your heart and declare these, these truths, these scriptures about who God is and just allow God to minister to you in a different way. Come on, let's stand to our feet. God, I pray that as we sing these words, Jesus, that you would inhabit the praises of your people. God, as we worship you, as we sing in unison and praise your name, God, would you delight in us and we delight in you. Would you draw near to us as we draw near to you? We thank you for your presence here, God. We acknowledge you and we lift you up.
and filled with wonder. God, we desire to know you. God, we desire to experience you. God, would you continue to reveal yourself to each and every person? Come on, as everybody's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, I just wanna talk to some of you in this place today that you have not had that revelation, you have not had that experience where you've really put God above everything else in your life. You haven't seen him as Lord and Savior. You've seen him as a, as a good person, maybe a, a good God, but not your God. And today I wanna give you an opportunity to bow your knee, to bow your heart before Jesus and accept him into your life. And so if you're in this place, we're not, I'm not gonna embarrass you or, or do anything weird. I just wanna pray with you. And if, if you're in here and you feel far from God, and you know that you're just not right with him today, would you mind just raising your hand? I just wanna pray with you. Because I'm over here. Come on, you're far from him. A few over here. Right here in the middle. Come on, you just know it. God's been dealing with you. I'm gonna pray. And I want you to just, come on, just relinquish all of who you are and embrace who God is. Jesus came, he died on a cross, he shed his innocent blood to pay the price for your sin. It says because of that, he now, he clothes you in righteousness. You try to bring your worth and who you are to the table and it always falls short. But whenever you, you put all that aside and you say, Jesus, it's because of you. In that moment, something great happens. So right now, let's pray. Lord, I come before you I surrender my heart to you. God, I bring you all my rags. I bring you all my efforts. I bring you my sin and my shame, and I put it at your feet. And God, I surrender my heart to you, and God, I just repent. God, I say that I'm sorry for living my own way. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your salvation. God, I ask for you to come into my heart. Change me from the inside out. Let me have a life worth living. I love you, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for those people that said that prayer? Yeah.
If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.